0: From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams.
1: So what I'd like to do is bring that same level of choreography, Daniel, to healthcare and to actually get the employees involved in writing their own departmental playbook so that we not just have a mission, vision, and values umbrella over the organization, but it's been localized. Here's what it looks like in dermatology. Here's what it looks like in family medicine. Here's what it looks like in radiology. So that we're all not only singing from the same philosophical hymnal, but it's been localized in how we answer the phone and how we knock on the door before we enter the patient's room.
0: That's Jake Poor talking about creating a cohesive strategy around the patient experience. We'll hear more from Jake in just a moment, but first, A word from our sponsor. Spend more time doing what you love, caring for patients, and less time on clinical documentation. Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX, captures the patient story securely and accurately to automatically document at the point of care for increased efficiency and patient throughput discover how DAX provides a better patient experience and eliminates afterward documentation. Visit Nuance.com DAX to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how DAX, Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution, can transform your organization. Our guest today is Jake Poor a featured leadership speaker and President and Chief Experience Officer of Integrated Loyalty Systems. Jake is on the faculty of the American College for Healthcare Executives and served in a variety of roles during his decades-long tenure with Disney, including five years as Senior Manager of Healthcare at the Disney Institute. Jake is here today to talk about what healthcare professionals can learn about the patient experience by modeling aspects of the Disney customer experience. Jake, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Now, in reading your bio, it says that you're on a mission to elevate the human side of healthcare. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, I was lucky enough to work at the happiest place on the planet, so many say. Walt Disney World. I was lucky enough to work there for 18 years. And I learned that there's an art and a science behind the Disney experience, that there's an intentional blueprint. And not just in the theme parks that most people experience, but in how they run their retail, their timeshare, their wastewater treatment plant, even the hospital that Advent Health built on Disney property and the many clinics and the five fire departments run by Reedy Creek. All of it was very intentional, and what I learned in healthcare, it's not so intentional. Now, we have a great rigor, Daniel, with clinical excellence and safety and uh, compliance, but what about the human side? And most of us didn't go to nursing school and, and medical school as patients, but we can absolutely tell you whether we like you or whether we got a feeling of you treated me as a valued guest in your home. And I think uh, the times have changed and patients are consumerism is really that that paste is out of the, the, the toothpaste tube, you know, and it's not going back in. And I think we can either go into the the new year kicking and screaming or we can embrace something intentional as well. And, and that's what I wanted to hardwire. I wanted to hardwire the human side of healthcare, And that's why after 18 years uh, on 9-11, I committed the rest of my life to doing just that.
0: hmm. You were talking about working at Disney for decades there and spending that time there. So give us one example then of what you could take from that Disney customer experience to the healthcare customer slash patient experience. How, what's one thing you can translate for us?
1: Well, that's that's a great question. Uh, the list, I actually wrote a book, 99 Lessons I Learned from Disney <laughs> to Improve the Patient Experience. But picking one, you know, here, here's what I will tell you. You got to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. I think uh, my mantra for 2021, uh, besides, you know, rising from the ashes in the midst of this pandemic is um, we got to be brilliant on the basics. And uh, what I like to share, you know, when I worked at Disney, we had 100,000 employees, 65,000 we gave paychecks to, and 35,000 of them were contracted. And we had 24 unions representing those employees. So getting anything done had to be pass, fail, black, or white, and simple. You had employees speaking 24 languages. So I think the the two tools that I'd like to to share, one of them is simply start interactions on the human. We call the tool human, business, human. Uh, Enter on the human, conduct your business, and exit on the human. Disney, of course, is, is known for this in Orlando and worldwide now in Shanghai and Tokyo and so on, the theme parks. But they've really made it an art form where you're not just pulling a string in your neck and reciting a script. You're really connecting with that person in front of you based on who they are, where they're from. You might pick up an accent, a crucifix around their neck, uh, a a favorite football pin or a baseball cap. You're connecting with them first before you're providing that service or anything. So I think connecting on the human first and entering on the human creates that warm welcome and that fond for
0: hmm Because you were at Disney for so long, why does Disney get that right? What What is the secret sauce, the recipe that Disney's doing that, quite frankly, a lot of places aren't doing?
1: I think I think we didn't assume anything. Um, one of the one of the big pragmat. I'm a idealist, Daniel, but I'm a pragmatic idealist. I'm not going to get up in front of a group of people and, and spout uh, platitudes and philosophy. I want to make sure that you know how to do it. And here's the roadmap. Here's the blueprint. Here's how you hire for it. Here's how you fire for it. The challenge in healthcare is we've left a lot up to ambiguity. And I think we need to close that gap. I'll give you for instance, Um, you know, I know a lot of your listeners are in uh, uh, medical practices, Mm -hmm. uh, but let me just go to the, the inpatient setting for a moment. I'm in the operating room. We're doing a safety timeout. The patient is awake. No one's told the patient what a safety timeout is. And we, the physician comes in and says, all right, timeout. And the patient's eyes get real big. Who's the patient? <laughs> oh, it's Daniel Williams. Uh, 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 and age, blah, blah, and okay, you know, wait a minute. Nobody's clued them in. Nobody's set an expectation. You know, uh, in business school, we learned that um, clear expectations avoid resentments right? Setting clear expectations. And and what I've done pragmatically is uh, one of the nice things about working at Disney for, for 18 years is I worked in 12 different departments, even even worked in Tokyo for a short time in Paris on those projects. Every department had a departmental playbook. Now we called it a standard operating procedure, or standard operating guidelines, but I played football for nine and a half years. So I like playbook because there's Three different teams, right? There's offense, defense, and special teams. Everybody's got their own role, but they have to understand their piece in the pie. Mm-hmm. Now you've got an MA, you've got a call center, you've got a uh, front desk, you've got billing and collections, you've got your providers, your physicians, your, your um, uh, other providers, and, and sometimes we hand off to our surgery center and radiology, but everybody's in their own little island. They're on their own little silo. And the patient can tell you that because it's redundancy after redundancy. So, what brings you in today? So, what I'd like to do is bring that same level of choreography, Daniel, to healthcare and to actually get the employees involved in writing their own departmental playbook so that we not just have a mission, vision and values umbrella over the organization, but it's been localized. Here's what it looks like in dermatology. Here's what it looks like in family medicine. Here's what it looks like in radiology. So that we're all not only singing from the same philosophical hymnal, but it's been localized in how we answer the phone and how we knock on the door before we enter the patient's room.
0: hmm You mentioned earlier about keeping it simple and you worked in that healthcare world for a long time, specifically. I've been in this uh, with MGMA for almost three years now. And I will tell you, the first day one, the first thing that surprised me was how complex it is. I thought it was kind of complex from the patient's viewpoint. That's the only way I had experienced healthcare. But now, being on the educational side of it, I'm going, holy moly, this is. We, Do we make it too complex on the healthcare side? I know you were just talking about, let's just communicate better, but what can be done to kind of drill down and make it more simple, more easy to digest and get that great patient experience going and just kind of shed some of the complexity of it?
1: Well, that's another three hour interview, but (laughs) let me see if I can break it down to a bite. You know, I mean, just think about new employee orientation, okay? In typical organizations, it's an eight-hour class when we used to do face-to-face, and and God forbid it's an eight-hour Zoom call now, but 60 to 70% of it is is 50 ways you can lose your job. You can go to jail. You can kill someone. Welcome! Is that really what we want to send? Or worse, Daniel, I need you to work at the front desk. Why don't you just shadow Jake for a day or two, And, and at the end of the week, you'll go to orientation. Well, you don't know what we stand for. You don't know what we what we won't stand for. You don't know, understand uh, what our differentiator is a medical practice and, and how we're competing and differentiating either clinically, is it operationally, is it productivity, or is it compassion and courtesy? How do we practice this medicine on each other? So the other thing is in, in new employee orientation at every room, when I, when I help organizations redesign it, I put one of those front desk bells on all the tables. I call it the acronym bell. Hi, folks. Good morning. It's Jake from Human Resources. I've been here 30 years. I've been in healthcare 40 years, and I'm going to teach you about the uh, Mercy Medical Group way of doing things. If in the next eight hours or 12 hours, I use an acronym or a term you don't understand, I've got Tootsie Rolls here, I've got some healthy snacks here. Just hit that bell on the table and call it the acronym bell because a lot of times when we say HIPAA or DRG or FTE, you don't know what that stands for. That's what we want you to know. And by the way, I want to challenge you, when you leave this room and you step on stage with our patients, that you speak in a language they can understand too. And that from the outset says, we care about you, we're going Mm -hmm. to speak to you in a language, and now we're setting the tone for the kind of culture and the kind of patient experience we're going to carry through. That just gives you an idea. And then we take the trainers, the preceptors, and we take them through a separate training. Now we don't do this, by the way. The trainer of the department is the person who has time on their hands. Hey Jim, you got? Can you train Daniel? Yeah. Well, I've never. I. Uh, hey, the supervisor's not here. I think the notebooks in her room. You know, this is most healthcare. The reason it's so complex, Daniel, is we've operated over two hundred years of see one, do one, teach one. And so, whatever the trainer was taught is then repet- repetitively trained to the next person. It's not intentional culture. It's kind of a haphazard culture. We've got to change that.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's a great summation of it, and. Yeah, if we can get out of the jargon, the acronyms of uh, the speaking our language to speaking just the common person's language, the common patient's language. I mean, we can only learn so much on Google, uh, Googling what our <laughs> symptoms are <laughs> self-diagnosing. So thank you for can that. Now, can I, I want to go I right ahead. Can
1: Matt? Because it's kind of funny, your listeners may enjoy this. You know, I, I put up a slide and maybe I'll, I'll do that at your conference and I put all the acronyms that we typically use day-to-day in <laughs> healthcare, and I, and I put, you know, jargon monoxide, right? Because it's like carbon monoxide. You, you oh, can't yeah. smell it, it's odorless, it's imbued in everything we do, but it's gonna kill you over time. I mean, literally, now joking <laughs> aside, if they really don't understand the diagnosis and the treatment and the medicine, because we're using healthcare terms, I mean, uh, for instance, let me just joke for a second. You know, uh, my grandmother, 87 years old, has cataract surgery. You know, years ago, when you actually stayed overnight in the hospital, the physician, the surgeon comes in, takes the gauze off her eyes and says, Mrs. Farrell, tomorrow, I'm going to want you to discharge. And she gets this weird, uncomfortable look on her face because to an elderly woman who hasn't been in the hospital in 40 plus years, the word discharge is feminine, and private, and we don't talk okay. about it, right? It doesn't mean go home. I mean, so our first impression, triage, and our last impression, discharge, are actually making disconnects unintentionally. Yeah. So if you want to create a world-class culture, sometimes we got to change our stories. And if we want to change our stories, sometimes we have to use intentional words in those stories that are really patient-centered and patient-first, not just because the way we've always done it.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. That is a, a great story. Thanks for sharing that one. Um, you mentioned the conference coming up. It's going to be in April. You're speaking at... Uh, It's called the Pathways Conference. It's MGMA Spring Show. Your keynote, you're one of the keynotes there. It's on rising from the ashes into a world-class medical practice. I'm getting an idea of what you're talking about here, but share with us, what is a major theme uh, you've developed here and, and what can they take away from this talk that you're gonna be giving?
1: Well, it's going to be a little bit of a twist and and I hope to keep it current and and be incredibly present at the time. Uh, As you know, daily (laughs) between politics and COVID and the vaccine and mass exodus, uh, we've got, you know, my friend Quint Studer uh, said on a podcast yesterday that COVID is the earthquake, but PST is the aftershock. So as owners Uh, practices, as physician leaders, as practice managers, uh, as leaders in general, we know that courage is contagious but so is fear. So what is our role as leaders as we plan to transition from this morass of chaos and lack of information to a light at the end of the tunnel, to what can I specifically do? No, How do I come with my game face on Now, I still have to be transparent. I still have to be incredibly gracious and and, and, and exude gratitude and compassion to my staff, thank them for showing up. Uh, You know, in the state of California, the medical groups are reeling from this very prudent safety order, Daniel, that if you know anybody within your family or your circle of friends who have COVID, take the next two weeks off fully paid. Well, some staff are taking fully advantage of this, and we've got nobody answering the phone. We've got nobody checking people in. So that takes, now, the COVID in general is taking a dramatic impact Add to lack of staffing uh, and the lack of information. So how do we put our game face on? How do we brace? How do we look in the mirror and brace for the day? And instead of coming in the back door and start seeing patients, how do we come through the front door? and start connecting with the front desk and say, thank you for being here. How do we leave, not through the back door, but leave through the front desk and and say to the MAs in the front desk, or even stop into the call center and say, you know, thank you for being there. Uh, Thank you for a great day. And and I appreciate you doing the triple the work. And I think my last thing I would say philosophically is my son and I just watched Lord of the Rings. And uh, I noticed in the Lord of the Rings, Gandor, the, the wizard, never showed up day-to-day. He only showed up when you really needed them, right? And when you least expected him. And I think as physician leaders and practice managers, you can't be everywhere. you got to manage nine clinics. you got to rotate between the hospital and on-call and your practice. You can't be everywhere all the time. But to use a hospital analogy, don't come to the cafeteria at 3 in the afternoon when nobody's there and say, how are things? come at lunchtime when we're short staffed and start serving soup, you know, come to the front desk first thing in the morning when we had three call offs. And you know what, don't they say, you know, good morning, answer the phone, (laughs) you know, before we check your patients in for us. So I think, you know, practicing that way now, I think leadership by behavior says more than leadership by words.
0: Mm -hmm. Great point. So, so much of what you're talking about is, being empathetic, being being present, um, being human. You talk a lot about this human element. There's there's a a, a new thing that's gone on in this past year though, and it's the advent of telehealth, telemedicine. So we're working through technology. How how do we do that? How do we raise both the human element, but also utilize these new technologies there. So we're not just these bots and everything else communicating with each other.
1: Yeah. What we used to say at Disney, you know, and I left 18 years ago, this is my golden year, right? 18 years at Disney, now 18 years in healthcare. What we used to say is high tech doesn't always drive high touch. Uh, And now Disney has invested over a billion dollars into this wristband technology called the magic band that can, you know, can basically do everything you want it to do. So how does telehealth um, give not just access and ease in, in the middle of a pandemic, but how do we make sure that we connect on the human side? And I think, listen, if we, if we took a video camera of you, Daniel, going to, into a patient's room to see a patient, what's nice about a video, the old cameras, the old, the old movie cameras, is they shot 24 frames per second. So I know what you did first things first. Did you knock? Did you not knock? Did you review the patient file before you went in so you know what their nickname is? Is it Margaret or is it Betty or is it Mrs. Jones? Or does she want to be called by her deceased husband who's been gone for 40 years, Mrs. John Jones? We got to know that stuff because that's an unintentional consequence if you go in and go, hey, what seems to bring you in today? Or hey, Mrs. Jones, I'm Mrs. John Jones. And listen, I've told your staff this 22 times and you forgot last time too. Now her blood pressure's gone up. Now we got a false positive on the blood pressure cuff. So when you add technology to this, and by the way, this is never going away. We went from 7% telehealth to 70% telehealth overnight, and my wife loves it, right? There's no hassle factor. There's no there's no calling for the appointment. There's no, everything is online. It's like online banking, du jour, right? Where have you been healthcare? There's no parking hassle. There's no parking, paying for parking hassle. Then you have to get tested at the front desk of the hospital. Then you have to go up to the clinic, get you know, wax in, wax off, you know, and there's no wait time and then wondering if you're going to be on time, wondering if your child's going to get back. Can I still do that dental appointment with my kids? So this is here to stay, but we have to put this under the Disney lens of choreography. Uh, you know, when I was a Disney college student, one of the jobs they made me do, which is embarrassing when you're, when you're spending money on tuition to go to Disney to work there, is I had to sell balloons on Main Street. Boy, were my parents proud. Here I'm getting a business degree. What, what are you doing down there? Dad says, I said, I'm in merchandise, Dad. Where exactly are you working? On Main Street, the Magic Kingdom. What exactly are you doing?
0: Uh, right? But one of the things
1: that was nice about working on Main Street is I got to watch the shows in front of the castle. And they call them the kids of the kingdom. I got to friend, befriend a lot of them. And I found out for every minute, one minute on stage, they did seven hours of rehearsal. Seven hours. Why? Because people were saving two to three years to come to Disney. It wasn't a cheap place, right? It's like taking out a second mortgage. So we had to bring it, right? Even me, a lonely balloon seller making $3.81 an hour, I had to bring it too. I was still part of the show and nobody was any less important, whether you are on stage or backstage. We need to learn this level of rigor in telemedicine, right? Mm-hmm. We were thrown into the thrust of Zoom calls like right. you and I are on right now. And did we learn about avoiding distractions? How do we prepare for the show? How do we engage our patient uh, on the human side before we jump to the clinical side? How do we manage technology? Should we rehearse and test our audio and our video with our MA before we get on? What does the MA script say? So I can play off of that as the nurse when I ask you about your vitals and your symptoms. Then when I hand off to the physician, I don't just put you in a queue, right? where he or she has to jump and start the conversation all over again, I am shooting them a text, giving them an update on Daniel's latest symptoms and latest information. Or that Daniel's son just got a baseball scholarship to Willamette College in Massachusetts. And boy, is that gonna make his day if I can start on that little human. So elevating the human side was hard enough in face-to-face care, in the parking lot, the Valley parkers, the front desk, the elevator opera, everybody. But now we've got this thing that we've been thrust into. We we didn't have any practice and we've been learning by trial and error. Boy, that was a long answer, Daniel, for a short question. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) Don't worry about it. Um, Building on what you've been talking about, it really sounds like you're talking about trust. Building uh, a relationship with a loyal customer, a loyal patient. So I guess in the Disney scenario where when you're walking out, you know, the door, you you might be exhausted after several days at Disney, but it's been an experience where you save up again, you want to come back. In that patient experience, how do you build that trust and that loyalty? So they not only, well, you, you don't want to come back, but you want to be back to do those regular checkups. But maybe it's even that referral situation when their friend is ill or as moved someone a neighbor's moved into town and they're looking for a new doctor come to mind because this this person's going to look after you so what do you do what do you how do you build that loyal fan uh and that loyal patient
1: well it's a great question first of all a disclaimer patients don't change when they go to the physician office they're the same person who drove through chick-fil-a today and had an exceptional drive through experience they're the same person who spent the weekend with their wife and their 10th anniversary at a ritz carlton hotel and had an exceptional dinner experience and they're the same person who went to macy's last night and actually found a pair of jeans that fit now that they could actually try on jeans and then they walked outside and got in a car accident or a minor altercation where they had to set up a meeting with the physician today yet we put them through a rigor of hassle factors on access to care, parking, or telehealth, and they don't send us a checklist on how to be set up for great telehealth visits. So we've got to put the same rigor in place. And if you want to build loyalty, when I started at Disney in 1982, just before Epcot opened, we, we had an intent to return a loyalty factor of 49%. It was very high at the time. Mm-hmm. We were right up there with you know Ritz-Carlton and, 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 a, and a number of organizations. But when I left in 2001, 18 and a half years later, we got that to 79%. That means wow. seven, almost eight out of 10 people who visited Disney intended to come back in the next three years. Every three years for life. Hmm. So that is hugely, why don't we apply that same blueprint, that same intentionalness to healthcare? Of course we can. We have to, but we've been so entitled with Medicaid and Medicare and insurance and our patient portal or our patient panel being so full, right, as a specialist, we haven't had to worry about that. Well, now we do, because we all talk now. We all have access to care, we have access to data, we have access to information, and we're gonna talk to our friends and our family about where the best uh, mammography, the best um, uh, family practice is in town. So the the simple formula that we learned from Harvard back in 1996 at Disney was that leaders, it was, it's called the loyalty profit chain by Frederick Reichfeldt. And Professor Reichfeldt told a number of our executives about the four-legged stool. And basically it's this, Daniel, every, every leader in America needs to know this, that leadership excellence plus employee engagement plus patient engagement leads to business outcomes, okay? It's in that order, so as a leader, My job is not to see patients, even if I'm a provider. My number one job is to take care of the employees who engage them in their role in the healing experience. Once they know their role, not just their job task of checking people in or or throughputting or rooming patients or whatever those terms we use are, but engaging them in their role in healing experience, they will make those connections with patients and that will drive business outcomes. So now the question is how? What simple tools could we give them and practice ourselves as leaders not only how can they do that with patients, but how can I do that with them? That drives not just satisfaction, but that drives loyalty and advocacy, which is the reason I, I chose the name of my company, Integrated Loyalty Systems, is because I'm not interested in satisfaction. That's fool's gold. If you get a four out of five out of a patient satisfaction survey, you're still 78% likely to defect if somebody offers you better service or better price. So how do we get to that five out of five? It's got to be not just me, the provider. It's got to be all of us.
0: Mm -hmm. Building on that. So you have used the term caring for the caregiver. So that's talking about getting the whole team involved. Tell us about that. Why is it so important making sure the whole team is cared for as well so they can then develop and sign off on that strategy to make sure the patient experience is a great one?
1: Well, top down doesn't work anymore, sorry. I mean, we've got to get our team members involved in the why we're in business, what is our mission in life, not just our job test. You've got to remove these proverbial blinders from their eyes that say, if you stop anybody in a practice or a uh, radiology uh, practice, an ambulatory center or a hospital and say, what do you do here, they'll tell you their title. I'm a bill collector, I'm in patient experience, I'm the CEO, I'm a radiologist, or I'm the ER doc, no. I'm part of a team at Dignity Health extending the healing ministry of Christ, right? Or I'm part of a team, you know, creating great profits at HCA. You've got to go to a mission first. If they don't know the why, the what doesn't matter. So we've got to not only unite them in our uniting thread that pulls through our true north and make sure everybody's aligned to that same true north and they understand their role in that show. But then as leaders and as managers, we've got to practice that on our caregivers, so if, it's schizophrenic if you say, do this, say this, and then I don't do that for you. So remember, they're anxious. They're fearful. Many of uh, the people I talk to, you know, strip down from work in the garage, walk into the guest shower before they enter their house. We're worried that we're bringing this home. And, and they are heroes in that sense, that they're sacrificing their own personal safety for the betterment of the rest of the of rest of the organization, the rest of the human race. But we as leaders have got to practice that. So how can we make sure we start each day on the human too? our meetings our entering the office before we jump to business. You can't walk in and say, what's my panel today? Uh, when can I go to lunch? Uh, are we fully staffed? That's starting on the business, right? Even safety huddles in, 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 in large ambulatory centers, we do these safety huddles every morning at 7am and everybody talks about their data from yesterday. How about good morning? How about hello? How about thank you for being here. Let's open in a, a, a great quote of the day from the CEO of Virgin Airlines or Elon Musk or something and get people fired up from a, a quote of the day or if you're a faith-based organization, a Bible verse, so that we connect them and we ground them. But we unintentionally don't. And then we reap what we sowed and we wonder why people burn out, call in sick or quit.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, are there any final thoughts then that you'd like to share with our audience on the patient experience?
1: Yeah. You know, my, my father always uh, left me with his mantra when he left this earth. He, he always said, Jake, you know, I know you're going to do well at Disney. Uh, I, just, I just feel it in my bones. And this was when I was on the Disney college program, which I was only supposed to be gone for four months and it turned into a nearly 19 year career. He says, never forget if it's meant to be, it starts with me. Okay. So get off your high horse, stop telling people what to do, and lead by example. So I think all of us can take a page out of, you know, the great leaders playbooks. Um, and I think what people need now, they do need hope. They need inspiration. Um, you know, Martin Luther King said, I have a dream, right? He didn't say, we're going we're gonna to work on civil rights. He said, I have a dream. You know, Winston Churchill said, you know, uh, this is going to be our finest hour but we will never give up. I think, we, I think we all need inspiration right now, but I think at the end of the day, as a physician leader or a practice manager or an owner of these practices, if it's meant to be, it has to start with you. So what are you gonna do differently? What kind of emails? You know, Replying to an email, Daniel asked me a question. I write back, the answer's 45. How about happy Friday, Daniel? Hey, thanks for that interview yesterday we did for MGMA. And the answer to your question, is 45 have a great day that is practicing human business human human first good morning hello happy friday business second the answer to your question is 45 and you end with human we need to answer the phone that way right dr jones no hello this is dr jones or if you know it's the ma because you see her extension pop up you don't go what do you need you say hey joanna what can i do for you that's human First, If you want her to do that with your patients, then you need to do that with her. And by the way, when you come home from work, if you teach this tool to your spouse, be careful, because when your spouse says, how was your day, and you start going into all the morass of your business, she's gonna say, you didn't start on the human, Daniel." So I think that's a great, again, we need to be brilliant on the basics. We need to start on the human. And by the way, if you like mathematics, Daniel, Human plus business plus human equals trust. And when we skip the human on the front end or we skip the human on the back end, a lot of times that's the whittling away at a beautiful thing we call trust. So we've gotta take this invisible blueprint and make the implicit explicit, the invisible visible. And I think when you start putting pen to paper and getting your team involved, not just top down, here's my plan for the year, but getting them involved, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that can have a powerful impact on your practice and the rest of the organization.
0: All right, Jake, that is great advice. It's the kind of medicine we need right now. So thanks for joining the show and sharing this with us.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Jake Poor. You can hear Jake speak at MGMA's medical practice excellence pathways conference in april for more information go to mgma.com slash pathways conference and thanks to nuance for sponsoring this week's show visit nuance.com slash dax to sign up for a live stream demo and explore how dax Nuance's ambient clinical intelligence solution can transform your organization. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at mgmadaniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe, and thanks for listening.
1: Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com membership. Thanks.